What a wonderful prayer in that song. Good morning. Nice to see. It wasn't the sunshine this morning, a delightful surprise. And coming to worship, and I, I, the greatest worship in the world this morning, just watching a little girl, a baby up here, dancing and praising God to the flow of the music. And I was going, oh, was Jesus ever right when he said, suffer the little ones to come to me. Theirs is the kingdom. And I just, I just long for that kind of faith and faith experience. But how do we live that in a, in a world that's so complicated? Right now, the very social compacts that have held our nations, our communities, and our world together are at risk. We have, um, we have nations who have strained relationships with nations that have been their favorite friends. We have nations struggling for choices between progressive or extremely fascist governments. Um, we have more and more difficulty talking to each other and understanding each other and communicating in a global system. In fact, we're living in an age right now of the almost absolutely autonomous self. What's the authority and purpose in life? My authority and purpose in life is to become the most actualized person I can be, to know who I am and what my code is and to live by it, regardless of anybody else around me. We are living in a world with 7 billion people who are their own absolute authority. Um, I was sitting visiting with an old friend. He knows I'm a Christian. I'd been involved with some stuff in their family and met a pastoral need. And in the midst of this need and me praying and them saying, oh, thank God you were here to comfort us, and take us through this time. Guy turns to me and says, by the way, here's, here's what I believe. You know, I believe that you love your family, you know, you're a pretty good guy. I don't like that porn stuff. I've never stepped out in my wife. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, the man upstairs is delighted in a person like me. You know, and he, he held himself up for, for judgment. He judged himself as being righteous, faithful, and true, and all's good. And, you know, we can giggle at that, but that's how most of us operate in this culture. We operate to our own ease and comfort. We push ourselves to our edge of what we believe and what's in our code. We see volunteer organization, nonprofits, and, and, and community groups falling apart all across our country simply because people say, I refuse to be committed to something, and I don't want to be a part of anything that has rules or outlines that define me in any way. I want to free associate my life through the world, through the problems of the world. And I want to stand as the ultimate judge and final authority of all things. And in this autonomous self that feels so good to us is the very ruin of Western civilization. It's the very ruin of the lives we desire to have. In fact, our attempts at autonomy, uh, a great Christian singer once described, uh, named Randy Stonehill, once described saying, we're all like marionettes who thought ourselves to be better than the puppeteer, so we've cut our strings from the puppeteer. And like marionettes with cut strings, we've left ourselves a pile of sticks and cord on the stage, immobilized. We're living in a crazy, crazy time, friends. And we need help. We, we need an understanding, once again, of outside authority to rediscover a sense of community and order that's deeply rooted in the midst of a world in turmoil. And we need to reclaim some, some sort of authority 
that's common to all of us. Now, for those of us in the Judeo-Christian and even the Muslim tradition, that authority comes from this thing we call the Word of God, the revealed scriptures that tell us who God is, how God has designed human life to be, and, and gives us that reference point out of which we can relate to God as an absolute authority and order our lives and world in a place that flourishes, that's nurturing. And actually, it becomes the abolition of the autonomous self rather than the celebration of the autonomous self. I want to read to you today a passage of scripture that's one of the very first ones that I ever memorized. I was discipled by very good people when I came to the Lord about 45, 47 years ago. And this was an early text for me. I want to read it today and spend a few minutes on it. And then I'm sorry to say, I'm going to, I've got to head out because I'm representing us and our cluster of churches at a mission fair up north. So I'm in that situation of how can you be in places, two places at once when you're really nowhere at all. So I'm here for this, and then I've got to run up north to be there for that. And then I'm going to come home and be with my family, and we're going to be there at that thing this evening. And would somebody please call me Monday morning and tell me who I am and where I'm at? Um, it's kind of a crazy day. Um, but I want to read the scripture and spend some time in it this morning. And I, and I want to challenge you with this. And here's the, here's the Apostle Paul in the very last letter he writes, giving his strongest advice. He's in the third chapter now. He's wrapping it up. His life is coming to end. He's saying the things that are the most vital and important to him. He's communicating with passion, with brevity, and with clarity. And he says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17, As for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking. And the word rebuke, of course, you know, is a strong stop that. Correcting and training in everything that's right so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, this morning, open our eyes to the fact that you are the absolute authority above us and around us. Help us to open our eyes to the power of your word to unify our culture, to heal our world, to guide us in meaningful, loving, and redemptive lives of faith. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Scripture is authoritative. Those of us who have learned it over a course of a lifetime are fortunate. I, I look and I, I see, see some people like that. I see a young friend here who was graduating from high school that first started coming to this church when she was very little and handing me pictures of me scuba diving. This is for you, Pastor Randy. That, that same girl who started on our Sunday school when she was a tot is now headed off to college as a maturing Christian woman who's going to be a leader and change our society. And that's true for the babies who are being held here this morning, for the kids who are over in that Sunday school. We are part of a community raising the next generation of Jesus-focused leaders, and we're doing it around the authority of this word that has the absolute authority to save 
from sin and direct in a life of faith that's meaningful, world-engaging, and life-changing. Scripture has two primary purposes. The first and foremost purpose of Scripture is to lead us to faith in God through Jesus Christ. Scripture is a gigantic index finger that rises up off the page and points and says, look at him. I'm talking to you. I've been talking to you since Adam and Eve, the prophets, the kings, all the stuff. I've been talking to you about this guy, Jesus, who's now come to you. He's been with you. He lived. He died. He rose from the grave. He's exalted at Lord. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the only way to God, but Jesus got big arms and doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but wants to save everyone who will come to him. That's the glorious heart of Jesus for this world. And Scripture guides us to a saving relationship with him. It's this gigantic index finger pointing to God and calling us once and again to come to a place of salvation and confidence that we belong to him now and forever, that our lives are held secure in him and we can trust him even when we can't trust ourselves or anything around us. This belief in Scripture as guiding us to salvation is absolutely critical. And at a second juncture... Scripture is a guideline for the life of faith for all believers. Now, before we go too far into the unique applications of Scripture's purpose, I want to take a look at the nature of Scripture and how it works. There are some really important things, as I said, Scripture is, leading us to faith and guiding us in a faithful life. Scripture wasn't written as a perfect history book. It only tells sections of history. It isn't a science book. It's not even, and I'll mention this later, even an organizational and governmental book, even with regard to the church. Did you know that? For as organized as we are in 2,000 years of being the church, very little is said about governing churches and how they operate in Scripture. The Lord said, I'm going to leave that to you guys to be led by my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to ask you how to organize your life and your witness to the community so that you grow in your faith, you love those around you, and you draw those in their community into this saving faith through the Scripture that points to Jesus and guides in a life of faith. Scripture points us to Jesus, and Jesus orients wandering children back to God the Father. And we do that as we engage in worship. Every week, I feel re-won to Jesus. Every week, I want to be the little girl just dancing to the rhythm of life and grace freely in the presence of God and allowing his love to wash over me and transform me into his image. And, and this God-breathed inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we call Scripture, it comes to us from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Scripture is meant to be stood, understood in its clearest possible meaning. And it's also meant to be deeply, deeply internalized. And one of the things that we don't do well is allow Scripture to become internalized in us. We listen as someone reads a snippet of it in church. We do quiet times and we gloss over it. But Scripture has a deeper meaning to that. It it, it calls us to be in it deeply and to wrestle with it. If you're reading Scripture in ways where it doesn't bug you, start over again. This scripture should be meddling with our lives and our values. 
it's got something to say about our tendency toward the autonomous self. It has a lot to say about we treat other people in the community around us and the strangers among us. There's no better book to speak to the immigration issues of our world right now than the text of the Old and New Testament. Did you know entire societies were judged? Sodom and Gomorrah was hit with hellfire and brimstone for its inhospitality and how it treated the strangers among them. This is a powerful book with much to say about our world and how we structure it and our disposition toward the people around us. But we need to work to understand and incorporate the truth of Scripture deeply into our lives. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, we need to become convinced of it. When you read in the scripture that we're supposed to treat the stranger among us as if he's one of our own, do we take that seriously enough to put ourselves in front of the needs of that person, to put ourselves in between governments and forces that would try to work against that? Scripture says yes. Scripture commands yes. And so scripture ought to be taking us to the mat as we wrestle with it. Think what it has to say. Karl Barth, my favorite theologian, says every Christian should walk around with two things, the day's newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. And you ought to be holding them in front of you and in a dialogue with both every day. You can't live without reading the paper and opening your eyes and seeing what's going on in the world. And you can't understand or tolerate what's going on in the world without reading this book and sitting under and soaking in its authority and looking for a loving, peacemaking, but true word to speak into the midst of a broken, fractured, individualistic culture. And by the way, the internalization of Scripture comes out in the power of faith, hope, and love. It doesn't come out in the power of proof texts, that we quote mindlessly from the scripture and uses a sledgehammer against our opponents. That's not the purpose of scripture. Scripture is to shape us in such a way that our lives make the argument for the gospel as it's taught in the scriptures. The scriptures are to beat us over the head, not the other people we encounter in our society and in our workplaces. Scripture is to make us wise And wisdom is knowing how to relate the truth of the scripture to the issue of today in the very situation we're in in our lives. It guides us and calls us spiritually to our vocation in life, and our vocation is a witness to Jesus everywhere we go in the world. This is the the final authority. I've been saddened this fall and this winter to hear of fellowship groups in our city breaking up over arguments about who to vote for for president. We have so many people attaching their faith to their politics in this country right now. It is repulsive. And I speak firmly against that. Our sole allegiance should be to Jesus Christ and his word. And that word has a voice that's ultimate over any political party, over any faction, over any philosophy. It is our final word. It is our authority. And by the way, people who live by this don't break up with each other over who's president. In fact, they probably don't sully themselves with some of the silly, sick, fake news or whatever arguments that are going on. We're having right now, we can't even define what news and fake news is. 
we've lost all sense of direction and authority. And the scripture is breathed into us by God to restore some sense of stability and order and a vision of society as God created it to be. Scripture applied wisely changes the world on lots of occasions. William Wilberforce, after working with slaves, came to the British Parliament, and he risked life and limb, death threat after death threat, worked himself into an early grave for the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. Likewise, Abraham Lincoln, during a divided time in our nation that's, believe it or not, way worse than it is now. People are shooting over each other over their political differences. We're getting close. Too close. But this was even worse. And Abraham Lincoln, a man of faith, would walk across the street to a little Presbyterian church across the boulevard from the White House. And he'd sit in the back. And if you ever, if you ever go into this little Presbyterian church on Constitution, you'll actually, you'll actually see the seat that Abraham Lincoln took near a post and pulled out a Bible in the pew and read, and cried, and lamented, and strengthened himself, and humbled himself to that authority. And that's the authority that he brought to the office of president when he said no to slavery, but yes to a United Nation, a United Nation, a United States in the midst of that. And the courage and resolve to do that came from the words of this book that we have free access to but take a little bit too lightly in our day. During the rise of Hitler, Karl Barth and Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw a slick, silver-tongued politician who could convince them that the Christian way was this Nietzschean superman that only allowed for the Aryan white person to rule the world and everybody else must go. And he wove it together with the gospel. He seduced the church in his home country and got it to place the Nazi party over the Bible and over the authority of Jesus Christ. And an entire Protestant movement inside a country became complicit in one of the worst and most diabolical regimes in the history of the world. 25 million lives cost. And he did it in a culture where people had become accustomed to the scriptures loved having their ears tickled by a good politician or a good preacher, and hardly ever opened the book to saw, see what it said about the world and the culture around them, folks. And look what that spawned. If ever there was a day where the possibility of despots rising and destroying the world we're in is a possibility, it's now again. And the antidote as I see it through these faithful people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who gave his life for the cause of the gospel is for us to rediscover the truth of the scripture, integrate it deeply, and hold it high above all the other authorities. People use the timeless truth and wisdom of this book to say no to current and future acts of oppression. You can't read this book and stand there as authority and look at an entire category of people and call them criminals and racists, rapists. Just can't do that. You can't look at this book 
and drive through Seattle and see tents set up on the side of the road and say, oh, that looks awful, sweep them up and get them out of here, not in my backyard. Used wisely, this word cuts to the heart of the evil powers of this and every age. And it speaks, to, it speaks a word of judgment to us. If you don't find yourself under Scripture and being convicted by it and challenged by it, step back and read it again. Our faith is a countercultural faith. It's a countercultural faith of community and faith, hope, and love in a world that wants to say there's no God and we're, we're locked inside a closed refrigerator and running out of air. In the world that says the autonomous self rules good luck, whoever gets the most money, garners the most power, wins. Whatever nation is willing to be the most audaciously risky and aggressive will gain more territory. And this book speaks a different message. Scripture is God-breathed, and it means that this collection is not a human effort to understand God, but it's God understanding us and speaking to us in baby talk in ways that we can come to understand him. Everything that we can possibly understand about God and how to engage our world socially is in this book. We've got to also recognize that while Scripture is powerful, it doesn't address every single issue. But it, it, it addresses the philosophical underpinnings of almost every field. It can speak to you about how to be a scientist, how to be an educator, how to work in human resources, how to manage people in a way that maximizes folks. It's tremendously important that we have a grace encounter with Jesus and go deep in the scripture. I'm not, by the way, advocating for a politicized gospel. I'm not advocating for any particular stand. What I'm advocating for this morning is that we recognize once and again that this scripture is God-breathed and that there's something extraordinarily powerful and life-changing about it. When we invite it in, when we recognize it as over us, and we bend our knee to Jesus, and we bend our ear to the words of this book. Because in here are the words of life, the words of hope, the words of faith. For you, for me, and for our world. Amen.